I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not fall. My heart, therefore, is glad and my spirit rejoices. My body also shall rest in hope. For you will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see the pit. You will show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures forevermore. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, I don't think that I have to venture too far by saying that this is one of those passages that might leave us all scratching our heads, wondering about the meaning behind Jesus' words, buildings falling, stones being thrown down, wars and rumors of wars, the end of time coming, nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes and famines, and the beginning birth pangs. Oh my, oh my. Anything else you want to add to this list of goodness? All kidding aside, this is quite a lot to take in. Just about everything bad that could happen is spelled out by Jesus pretty plainly here. Remember, we are journeying with Jesus as told by the gospel writer Mark. And in today's gospel, we find Jesus standing in the temple courtyard with his faithful followers, the disciples. They happened to be in what was known as the temple courtyard. And so one of the disciples begins to share his feelings about what a magnificent structure the temple is. He's in awe of the temple, not really because it's where God resides, but more because of its beauty, its grandeur. It's a wonder to behold. In fact, as if Jesus needed this pointing out, the disciple says to him, Look, teacher, what large stones and what large buildings. The disciple was in awe of the building, truly spellbound in an absolute wonder. The temple itself was so crazy beautiful and grand. For many, it was the symbol, literally the symbol of God's presence in their midst. And I can only imagine just being there. It must have been intoxicating. Remember, At this particular time in history, buildings like this were few and far between. This was it. This was the ultimate symbol of favor and rest with God. There was nothing better. Because it was God, it was a phoenix rising up out of the ashes. The most beautiful thing one could ever behold. Well, when I was in my 20s, I lived in Australia for a time. I was asked to teach scripture and Bible in a small grammar school three hours north of Sydney, and as any 20-year-old would do, I just up and left. It seems a bit outlandish now when I think of it, but I was young, 
had a sense of adventure, and so I headed to the land down under. Believe it or not, the only guarantee I had upon my arrival was that I had a place to stay and a group of kiddos who needed teaching. So I left for the land down under and landed in a place that has proved to be one of the grandest places and adventures of my life thus far. While there, I was lucky enough to enjoy life with a family by the name of the Rogers family. And they were kind enough to invite me on their month-long holiday. And in that particular year, and in that particular month, I toured the continent of Australia in a Winnebago. How's that sound? This was not my family, but I was the tag-along to a family vacation. So one of the stops along our way was a place called Uluru. Has anybody ever heard of Uluru? Of course. <laughs> Our New Zealander knows. I'm proud of you, Steph. Yes, Uluru, otherwise known as Ayers Rock. It's a giant, I'm talking giant, red rock in the middle of the outback in Australia. It is not easy to get to. It takes a long time to get to. And once you're there, you don't want to leave because it's so beautiful. I will never forget traveling along the flat and desolate roads of the outback and all of a sudden seeing this structure, this marvel rising up out of the red desert. It's also known as the eighth wonder of the world. Glimmering in the sun, mesmerizing all those who had the privilege of gazing upon its gloriness, the red, fire, holiness for some. You see, Ayers Rock isn't a temple for most, but for the Aboriginal people in Australia, it is. It's a place of worship, a sacred place that's set apart. And for me, it was the closest thing I think I've ever experienced to the grandeur of the temple in Jesus' day. Literally, a phoenix rising up out of the ashes. We drove for days and days to get there. And then, one morning, literally, I looked up, and out in the distance, I saw the rock. And it rose up in the most beautiful way. And I knew I had in front of me one of the greatest wonders God has ever created. I was in awe of Ayers Rock, and perhaps this is what the disciples felt like too when they saw their temple. It was said that this temple at that time Herod had coated in gold, so much gold, layers upon layers upon layers of gold, that when the sun was shining on it, you couldn't even look at the building for fear of being blinded. Can you imagine? 
back to the story. We see Jesus again, and the disciple is telling him about the great and grandeur of the temple, but strangely, Jesus wasn't enamored by it at all. He wasn't awestruck by the building, its ornateness, or that it is the size of the Acropolis. It was massive. Instead, he turned the tables and he spoke of its ruin. This grand structure he spoke about being decimated. How is this to be, Jesus? This is impossible. But Jesus was insistent, utter destruction. Not one stone would be left overturned, complete and utter decimation. That is how Jesus responded to the disciples when speaking of the temple. So at this particular point in the story, I think it's really helpful to understand that today's gospel, it's a certain genre in biblical literature, and it's called apocalyptic writing. I'm not saying it's the apocalypse. Don't get me wrong about that. So we're not talking about the four horsemen in Revelation or the utter destruction of the world. Not that kind of apocalypse. You see... Apocalyptic writings are those that tend to be born out of times of great trial and stress. And at this particular time in Mark's gospel, Mark's hearers are under a lot of stress. It's not easy at that particular point. And so out of that, these stories that reflect both the despair the sadness about the current situation, while at the same time holding on to hope that something will emerge. Something will rise up. In apocalyptic writing, there's always the juxtaposition of how despairing something seems while holding tightly to what it could be, what it can be, The true meaning of apocalypse is an unveiling, an uncovering of the truth when we've been given fresh sight in which to see something. Jesus' unveiling to his disciples is that the temple isn't God. That even if it were to crumble and a few years later, it will be destroyed in the sack of Jerusalem. What Jesus wanted his disciples to know was that God is not bound by mortar and stone. That God can never be contained by any structure or building or box we put him in. Unveilings can certainly be shattering to the core. And often they can lead to disillusionment. Perhaps there are others in the room that feel this way. Fellow preacher and theologian, one of my heroes in the walk of faith is a lady by the name of Barbara Brown Taylor. And she speaks of disillusionment in this way. 
It's the loss of an illusion about ourselves, about the world, about God. And while it is almost always a painful thing, it's never a bad thing to lose the lies we have mistaken for the truth. And this is where this passage hits home for me. And perhaps there are those in this room where the passage doesn't feel so far off now. Because if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have experienced an unveiling or an uncovering in our own lives. Going about life, thinking life is one way, but in reality, guess what? It's radically different. And when you're honest with yourself, you look at it and see, gosh, this is a big pile of rubble. It can be shattering to the core, can't it? I know it has been for me. And it's forced me to ask some really hard questions of myself, painful, painful, painful ones about my own spiritual path. And the one that rises up for the surface more than any is this. Can I embrace a faith journey that includes rubble, ruin, and failure? <laughs> a faith journey that might include things that I never thought or imagined I'd have to bear. A faith journey that might require me to pull back the curtain, tear down the walls, and be honest about my own life and where I'm at, and the part I had to play in it in getting here. This is where you're at. All I can do is come alongside you and remind you of what I remind myself a thousand times a day of, and it is this. There's hope. <laughs> and as the angels who always make their way to people in scripture, the first words they say are, do not be afraid. Because our God isn't in fear. And no matter what anyone says or does or how bleak a situation looks, don't be alarmed. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed when truth is shaken and nations make war, when earthquakes and famines come, when relationships end, when people disappoint, when our bodies don't do what we wished they would. Don't be afraid. And don't despair. What I love most about this passage is how it ends. Because it ends in hope. And this hope happens to be given through an image of birthing new life. 
And if this is the only thing you hear from me today, know this, only through the struggle, the pain and pangs that come with birth, Jesus says this, only then can new life come. Only then can resurrection come. God is always, always in the process of making beautiful our heaps of ashes, rubble, and ruin. If you find yourself today in a big old pile of rubble, or what feels like wreckage, you're not alone. Whether you've made the mess or some unfortunate way you've landed in a mess, I'm telling you what I tell myself. Know that you have a God who isn't watching from afar, judging and condemning you for the mess you made. Instead, there is a God who is right there in the mess with you. In the rubble, in the wreckage, in the debris, He's there. And you know what he's doing? He's offering the hope and surety that one day, one day soon, the struggle will be over. And just like a birthing mother pains Just like when her pains end, when new life emerges, so it will be with you as well and me. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.